Well, we've been in a series called Thy Kingdom Come, and we kicked it off two weeks ago. And today, the title of my message is Kingdom Priorities. And so we're, we're, we're spending several weeks talking about the kingdom of God. And I don't know if you know this, but the kingdom of God was intended to manifest or to take over the earth. Uh, God's original design in the Garden of Eden was for Adam and Eve to live in and establish the kingdom of God on earth, which is basically this. Anything that would be in heaven would be established on earth. God's kingdom is God's will, God's reign, God's choice, God's power, God's design, God's plan. That's the kingdom of God. And it's been his intentions ever since to establish his kingdom on the earth. The scriptures are very clear about that. And in fact, I want to start the message off today with a prayer out of Matthew chapter 6. Many of you know this prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer. How many of you heard the Lord's Prayer? If you played any kind of sports, you probably said the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> the, our Father who art in heaven. Okay, just in case, all right. So, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so what Jesus did is he, he gave them this outline of how to pray. And that's the Lord's Prayer. It's an outline. It's, a, it's, a, it's the bones, the structure of what a, pr a good prayer should be like. And he gave them this outline. He gave them this example, this Lord's Prayer, for them to pray this way. In fact, he said, pray this way. And then he gave them the prayer. Listen to the beginning of the prayer. Matthew 6, verse 9 and 10. It says, our Father who art in heaven. Make sure you're talking to the right Father, right? He says, hallowed be thy name. Give him some glory and some honor and some praise. Then he gets right into business. He goes, thy kingdom come, meaning God's kingdom come. And then he says, and thy will be done, God's will be done, where? On earth, just as it is in heaven. So right from the beginning, Jesus throws down this stone that if you're going to pray, you need to pray this way. Meaning, when you pray, you need to be praying that God's kingdom comes and that his will is done in every situation. I don't know if you realize it, but every time you prayed that Lord's Prayer, you were praying a dangerous prayer. Because you were praying for his kingdom to come and his will be done, but in order for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, your kingdom has to die and your will has to die. We don't like that, do we? I don't like it when my will gets crossed. I don't like it when I, have to, when I have to admit that I'm wrong. I don't like it when somebody else is right and I'm wrong. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He says on earth just as it is in heaven. So anything that you would see or experience or feel in heaven would be seen, experienced, and felt on earth. Are you getting this? Like it's, it's bringing heaven to earth. You know, I've come to believe that when we get to heaven one day, it shouldn't be a surprise. Like we shouldn't get to heaven and go like, wow. Because we should be experiencing it here on earth. Amen? According to this prayer, we should be experiencing heaven here on earth today. So I want to give you a couple of thoughts and then I'm going to get into three points and wrap the message up. The first thought is this is your life is the sum total of the decisions that you make every day. So where you currently are in life, whether you're satisfied with it or not, 
is the result of the decisions that you've made every day. Does that make sense? Shake your head, say amen or something. So, so you are where you are mostly because of the decisions that you've made every day to get here. So whether you like it or not, <laughs> look at me, it's your fault. <laughs> I want to be skinny. I've never been skinny. Don't know what it's like. I'd like to experience that one day. But I make decisions every day that will never let me get skinny. <laughs> Most people want to be big and muscular. I want to be skinny. Never felt that. But I make decisions every day that say, here you go, <laughs> this is what I get, whether I like it or not. Right? So my life is the sum total of the decisions I make every day. Let me give you an example of what it looks like. Every day should be intentional. Every day should have a purpose. We should be developing good, healthy habits in our lives. Amen? There should be some things that, that, that have become a habit. Coming to church is a habit. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't decide anymore whether or not I'm going to church on Sunday. That's just a gimme. It's a pillar in my life. It's a pillar in my family's life. I've led my family that way. Today, this morning, most Sunday mornings, I wake up, I fix coffee. I fix coffee. Occasionally, my wife fixes coffee, and occasionally my oldest girl fixes coffee. But mostly, I fix coffee. And my wife tells me it's because the Bible has a book called Hebrews. And I disagree, but I fix coffee. So I wake up, I fix coffee. Uh, usually on Sunday mornings, especially now that the weather's cool and the mosquito man passed a couple of days ago and went around the house with killing mosquitoes, I can sit on the back porch now. So I get my coffee, I go on the back porch, I put on some worship music, and I pray. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to get my heart right. I'm trying to get my mind right. I'm starting the day off right. I'm giving Jesus the first fruits of my day. I'm not giving him my leftovers. I'm not giving him what leftover energy I have. I'm giving him the best that I have because you're best first thing in the morning, whether you believe it or not. But I'm not a morning person. That's your best. So I sit on the porch and I pray. Then I get up, I get dressed, I brush my teeth, I kiss my wife goodbye. Why do I kiss my wife goodbye? Because I want her to be happy when I see her when I come back. I don't walk out of the house and not tell her bye. Okay, guys, this is like a freebie. Like, like kiss the woman, tell her you love her before you leave. Trust me, when you come back, she'll be excited to see you. I drive to church. On the way to church, I get into town, I start to pray again. This is my habit. I have a habit of praying when I come into town. I live in the country. The country starts past the hospital. So if you live on this side of the hospital, you're not in the country. You live on that side of the hospital, you're country. So when I get to the city, I pray. I say, Lord, thank you. This is my prayer most, most mornings when I come to town. Lord, thank you for sending me to Eunice. Thank you for trusting me in Eunice. Thank you for giving me the privilege of serving this city and the surrounding areas. I counted a joy. I counted a blessing. Thank you. What am I doing? I'm praying that prayer not to remind God of how grateful I am, though I'm doing that. I'm praying that prayer to remind myself of how grateful I need to be. Amen? And then I get to church, and I meet with the dream team, and we pray again, and we're excited, and then boom, we do this. Why am I telling you this? Because it's a habit. It's intentional. That's how every Sunday morning goes. I 
I'm responsible to make decisions to lead my family in the ways of the Lord. It's not anybody else's responsibility, it's mine. I don't try to push it off on my wife. It's not her responsibility, it's my responsibility. Because whether she agrees or not, I'm leading her. I said, whether she agrees or not, I'm leading her. <laughs> That's a gentle way of saying, woman, I'm the boss. Did y'all catch that? No, y'all didn't catch that. You got it? All right, good. <clears throat> so my life is the sum total of the decisions I make every day. Change your decisions, change your life. Second thought is this, is our decisions that we need to make every day are determined by our priorities. Question, what are your priorities? Do you have priorities? Can you tell me what your priorities are? Are they written somewhere? Do you know what they are? What are your priorities? Well, my priority is just to make it through the day. Okay. <laughs> you can have a better priority than that. <laughs> Our decisions are determined by our priorities. Watch this. Whatever I prioritize will determine my decisions. But whatever decisions I make determine what my priorities are. Right? So I can have the priority of being physically fit, financially stable, being successful in all these other areas. But when I make a decision, that decision says what my priority really is. Make sense? So identifying the right priorities of life is the key to a successful and fulfilled life. Listen to what Psalms 90 verse 12 says. So good. It says, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Listen to that statement. Teach us. In order to say, teach me something, you have to admit that you don't know it. Right? That means you need to humble yourself. The only way you can ever ask somebody to teach you something is if you're humble. Teach me to number my days and to recognize how few they are. Isn't it true? The older you get, the faster life goes. Come on, somebody. Yeah, when I was a teenager, summers were long. <laughs> they're cruising now. <laughs> and they're getting faster by the minute. Then listen to what the rest of the verse says. It says, help us to spend them as we should. So what is the psalmist saying? He's saying, teach me to number my days. In other words, there's, a, there's an end date in mind. Help me to remember how few they are, and then help me to spend them well. How many of you want to spend your days well? How many of you want to leave a legacy one day? How many of you have thought about your funeral? You need to be thinking about your funeral. Why? Because you need to be thinking about what people are going to say at your funeral. Are they going to be whispering in the corner? Well, you know, he had that problem. <laughs> you know who he was when nobody was around. Remember that time he... Sh I want my children to be proud at my funeral. I want my friends to be proud at my funeral, right? I get to determine what that's like. So in order to spend my days well, I need to identify what's important and what's not important. Because sometimes, and I believe most of us here today are doing things that aren't as important as we think they are. I'm going to break it to you easy. Deer season is not as important as you think it is. I, I just got a witness. I'm going to say it one more time. Deer season. Oh, I feel like I'm about to start preaching now. Dear, don't worry, women, I'm coming. Dear season 
is not as important as you think it is. The sale at Macy's is not as important as you think it is. The beauty shop is not, it's important. It's important. Beauty shop's important. Let's just leave that one over there. (laughs) Amazon is not as important as you think it is. Come on. I knew I was going to hit a vein somewhere. Somebody heard somebody in the back, preach. (laughs) You know, some days the hardest thing I do is make the right decision. Because how many of you know there's always something pulling at us, right? Every day something has an agenda for me. Every day the hardest thing I do is to make the right decision. So your life is the sum total of the decisions you make every day. Our decisions are determined by our priorities. My third thought is this, is the greatest mistake in life is to be busy but not effective. To be busy but not effective. Do you know you can be busy and not effective? You know, I could ask anybody in this room, how, how was your week? Oh, it's busy. Busy, busy. What I should be asking is, how effective were you this week? <laughs> No, Pastor, don't ask that. Francis Chan said this. He said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Boom, get you some of that. How many of you want to be successful at things that don't really matter? I didn't think so. Failure to prioritize causes you to waste the two most important commodities you have time and energy. Two greatest commodities you have are time and energy. Everybody gets 24 hours. Everybody gets the the same 24 hours. Nobody gets 24 and a half. If you do, tell me how you did it. But we all get 24 hours in a day, and we get to choose how we spend those 24 hours. It's one of your greatest commodities. Your energy is only set for (laughs) so much a day. Isn't it funny that when you're younger, you got all this energy, but when you're older, you're jealous of those that are younger? Come, come on, get honest with me this morning. Time and energy, you only have so much of them. You have to be careful how you spend them. Time is the currency of your life. You become whatever you buy with your time. How are you spending your time? It's a question you need to answer in your own heart this morning. How are you spending your time? How many people have been so busy building a career that they've sacrificed their family on the altar? How many people have been so busy that they felt like they were sacrificing their family on the altar and instead of spending time with their family the right way, they went and spent time with their family the wrong way and have missed out on the spiritual growth of their family. The greatest thing you can impart to your children is spiritual growth, a healthy spiritual life. How are you spending your time? How are you spending your energy? Are you wasting it? So why are priorities so important in our discussion about the kingdom? Simply put, it's because we're driven by something. Every one of us is driven by something, right? Every one of us has something that that drives us. There's some purpose, some intention. Most humans 
have this thing called um, a hierarchy of needs. It's simply this, water, food, clothes, housing, protection, security, preservation. These are, these are most humans' hierarchy of needs. These are the things that are most important to us. I got to get me some water. I got to get me some food. Come on, somebody. You're like, hurry up, Pastor. I need some food. Clothes. I need some new clothes. Amazon. You know what I'm saying? But if we're honest, we all strive for these things, right? All of us work hard for these things, don't we? Come on. You can raise your hand. It's okay. Nobody's going to point you out. We all sacrifice for these things. We all spend most of our time and our energy on these things, right? And then we find ourselves exhausted and worn out and stressed out and lacking in a lot of things. I want to prove to you through Scripture today that, those, that although those are good priorities, they're just in the wrong place. And I want to prove through Scripture today that, that even though that's your priorities, that's not God's priorities. We shouldn't be surprised that his priorities are different than ours. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. This is part of the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus has a big crowd of people. He's sitting up on a mountainside teaching them all these incredible truths. And in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25, he begins to throw down the gauntlet about what we're talking about today. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. How many of you walked in here and you worried this week about something? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Don't get mad at me. That, Jesus said that. Jesus said, why are you worrying about your life? Why are you worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear? This is just the beginning. He kind of comes down and says, listen, your priority's wrong. If your priority is to eat and to drink and to wear something, then you got it backwards. And listen, I hope you walk out of here today with some different priorities. In fact, I hope you walk out of here today with some good priorities, with some God priorities. Amen? Jesus exposes man's wrong priorities. You know what it means to worry? <laughs> worry means to be consumed in thought. To establish a, pro a problem as a priority. Worry is fretting. It's fear of the unknown. A worrying is to rehearse the future as if you have no control over it. Anybody guilty of that one? Come on, you'll rehearse what you're going to say tomorrow. Got an issue with somebody. I'm going to tell them this. I'm going to tell them that. You can't sleep. You're stressed out. You're worried about this. You're worried about that. And all of this is going to supposedly happen tomorrow. And you're rehearsing what you think is going to happen. And in doing so, you're worried. And Jesus said, don't worry. But that's easier said than done, right? Maybe you'd agree with that. It's easier said than done, but watch this. It's doable. It's absolutely doable. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, you need to be worried. Have you ever read it, John? Heath, you ever found that? Does, does the Bible say you need to be worried? Never once said worry. Listen to what Jesus continues to say. Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Who feeds them? God feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I didn't think so. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Who are those people? Who are those pagans? You know who pagans are? Pagans are people that aren't saved yet. Pagans are people that have not come into a relationship with Jesus yet. I was once a pagan. I was once not a follower of Christ. I was once not saved. I was once a, a hoodlum. I was once a, a couillon. I was, you know, all those, I was once a pagan. And I worried about all those things. But what the scriptures is saying is you don't need to be like a pagan because you've been bought with a price. Anybody, anybody alive today? You've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed. You're not a pagan anymore. You're a son or daughter of the king. You've been adopted into his family. You've been given full rights to his pantry. You ever have a kid come over to your house and he has no manners? He'll walk up into your house and open your pantry door. You ever have a kid that does that? Maybe it's your kid. I don't know. We had a kid one time. It offended me. This kid walked up in my house. It's like his first day in my house. He walks up into my house and he... Brother starts digging in my pantry. He's looking for my little Debbies. I'm like, bro, don't touch my little Debbies. You touch my Debbies, I'm going to beat you up. I had to correct the brother. Say, hey, dude, what's your name? What you doing in my pantry? But when God adopted us into his family, he gave us rights to everything that he has. So why worry? He feeds the birds, don't he? How much more does he like you than the birds? A lot, in case you were wondering. Look how beautiful the fields are. Does he love you more than the fields? Yeah, he'll, he'll get you some clothes. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Here's the cool thing about God. He's such a good father. He already knows what you need before you even say what you need. He knows what you need before you know what you need. I think, I personally believe that God knows my needs and he went ahead and just put them right there in place. He put the provision right where it needed to be at the right time. How many of you have ever like needed some money? You're like, Lord, I need some money. And it got there right on time. Not a minute early. <laughs> Come on, somebody. She's like, bro, I know you can get it to me like 10 minutes early. Listen to verse 33. But instead, 
here's a good button in the Bible, but instead seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, all those things will be added to you. Now, I know that comes against the way you were raised. You were raised that you had to go and earn it, and you had to go and fight for it, and you had to go and get it. If you want to eat, you've got to go kill it, right? Come on, that's how we were all raised. You can't be lazy. You've got to be a man. You've got to go out there and get it. Go get it, boy, don't you? Ain't nobody going to give you nothing. That's a lie. God feeds the birds, don't he? He likes you more than the birds. Will he not feed you? So, so does that mean I don't have to go to work anymore? No, that's not what that means because the Bible also says if you don't work, you don't eat. But it means this, that work and what you wear doesn't need to be your priority. Do you need to go buy some clothes? Yeah, you need to go shopping every now and then. I'm going to quit meddling. He says, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus states God's number one priority is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I'm going to break that down for you towards the end of the message. This reminds me, this kind of looks like when Peter walked on water. How many of you remember the story of Peter walking on water, right? Peter, the guys, they're in a boat. Peter's standing there. Jesus comes walking up on the water. Peter's like, bro, that's cool. Like, for real, that's cool. Peter goes, Hey, can I come? And what does Jesus say? Man, come on. Man, walk on that water. Peter steps out the boat. And unlike the rest of the disciples, he's the one walking on water. Peter's literally walking on water. And as long as Peter had kept his eyes on Jesus, he stayed on top of the water. The minute he took his eyes and put them on his needs, on himself, he began to sink. Stay focused on Jesus. You'll see the miracles. You'll walk in miracles. Focus on yourself. You'll start to sink. Here's a good indicator. The minute you think you need to supply your own needs, you've messed up. The minute you feel like you need to go get this and I need to do this and I need to do that, you've just become independent. Thank you for smiling back at me. Verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Come on. Like today got enough trouble, right? So you don't need to go start working on tomorrow's trouble. Here's a freebie. If you don't have much trouble today, enjoy it, because you're going to get more trouble tomorrow. So don't try to work on tomorrow's trouble. Just enjoy not having trouble for half a day, right? Like sit back on the, on the, the rocking chair, get you a, a glass of tea, and enjoy life for six hours with no trouble. But some of us, man, we got to, you got you having a good day, no troubles. You, you're already into tomorrow. I'm like, slow down. So let me give you three points this morning about prioritizing the kingdom and what it looks like. So the first thing Jesus said was this. He said to seek. 
First instruction he gives us is to seek. What does it mean to seek? It means to go after. It means to try to gain it. It means to gain understanding. It means to learn. It means to study. It means to explore. It means to consider. Seek. He says to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm a researcher. If I want to know something, I'm going to go study it before I do it. I've made too many mistakes just going by stuff and doing stuff and not doing any research. I bought pigs one time, didn't have no fences. Hello. Not real smart. I didn't do enough research. Do some research. Be careful how you do it. Gain understanding. The Bible says to seek first his kingdom. Amen? Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me, watch this, with all your heart. Ever have trouble finding God? Ever have trouble finding Jesus? Ever felt like he was mad at you or far away? Do you know what the problem probably was? Is that you weren't seeking him with all of your heart. What does that mean? That means that part of your heart was worried about tomorrow or today. Listen to the verse. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You want to find God? You want to be in his presence? Seek after him with all your heart. You see, here's the truth. All of us are seeking a kingdom. The question is, what kingdom are you seeking? Is it thy kingdom or is it my kingdom? What kingdom are we seeking? So Jesus says to seek. The second thing Jesus says is to seek first. There's a power of doing things first. There's a power and a blessing that comes when you do the right things first. Amen? It matters. It matters what you do first. First thing I do in the morning is not get on social media. The first thing I do in the morning is not turn on Fox News. The first thing I do in the morning is I get in my Bible app after I make coffee because in order to seek him, I got to be awake. Come on, somebody. So I, I get on my phone, and, and I got the Bible app on my phone. I press play. I'm going through the book of Matthew right now, so I press play, and I listen to this professional reader read me the Bible. First thing I do in the morning. Why? Because I'm telling God, and I'm reminding myself that his words are the words of life, and nobody else's words are the words of life, but his words are. And I give him the first moments of my day. Why? Because I want him to bless the rest of my day. Because I've had too many days when I've done my own thing. I had to get to the job. I had to go do this. I had to run this errand. I had to be at a doctor's appointment. I had to do all these other things. And I just threw God to the, to the side. And we're all guilty. There's a power in the first. Whatever is first in your life influences your life. When you do the right things first, it has the power to bless the rest of your day. Amen? Success is never accidental. It's intentional and habitual. What are your intentions when you wake up in the morning? Come on. What's your intentions? Well, just to get up. Okay, you can have a better intention than that. What's your intentions for your spiritual life? You know, nobody stumbles into intimacy with God. 
Like you don't just stumble into, man, me and God, whoa, watch out. It doesn't happen. You have to be intentional. It needs to become habitual. What about your marriage? Do you just like have a good marriage? Anybody been married longer than a minute? How do you have a great marriage? It don't happen on accident. It's work. In fact, marriage will be the hardest thing you ever do. Amen? It's the hardest thing you ever do. Why? Because it's two people that got put together and, 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 and it requires both of them to die. And when flesh starts to die, it stinks. Kind of hard to have a great marriage if you don't go out on a date. It's good preaching, Pastor Jamie. I'm telling you, man, I figured all the women would have been like, whoop, whoop. Say it again, Pastor. Kind of hard to have a great marriage if you don't selflessly serve one another. I ain't talking about a plate of food. I'm talking about an area, every area of marriage to selflessly serve one another. So, so just a quick reminder for all the guys, because I know sometimes we need it broke down a little bit slow. Date night, selflessly serve. You'd be surprised at the power of washing one load of dishes will do. You didn't say nothing. I figure I got an amen out of you. Okay. We got teenagers. They wash the dishes. <laughs> they take out the trash. We enjoy every second of it until they move out. Then when they move out, then we'll fight about who's doing what. But for right now, they doing it. What about your finances? You want, you want your finances to be blessed? You know how you get your finances blessed? You have the power to do that, by the way. You have the power to get your finances blessed. You know how? When you take the first 10% and you give it to God. It's called tithing. Let me clear that up because some of you, I feel a little, some of, some of you got an issue with tithing. I mean, let me clear it up for you. Tithing is not giving to Pastor Jamie. Tithing is not even giving to our Savior's church. Tithing is giving the first percent, the first 10% of what God gives you. You return it back to him. What does he do with the 90%? He blesses it. It's in the Bible. I want my finances blessed. The first check we write, the first money that moves goes to God. It's intentional. It's habitual. We don't have to decide this week if we're tithing. We made that decision 20 years ago when Virginia was born. Or 21. 21. Listen to what Deuteronomy says, just to back up what I'm telling you, because some of you got an issue with what I just said. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. There you go, God said it. I'll get you some of that. You're going to get mad, get mad at God. But tithe, and <laughs> you'll be okay. <laughs> so what does it look like to give the first of your life? The first of your year, maybe 21 days of prayer and fasting. Maybe you'll join in with us on that. First of the month, maybe to sit down and schedule some things and prioritize your month. First of the week, what if you determined to be in church every first of the week? How many Sundays are there in a year? 52. Ever made it to 52 church services? I have. And I loved every minute of it. I didn't die. 
Like I've been to church 52 times this year and I didn't die. So let that marinate right there for a minute. But of course, you're here today, so I'm not beating you up. What would it look like if you gave God the first of your day? What if you started with 15 minutes? 15 minutes. Just take 15 minutes and spend it with God. I'm not even going to tell you how. I'm not going to say, just make sure it's you and God. Talk to Him. 15 minutes. I dare you to try it and see how it changes your life. No matter what age you're at. 15 minutes, give it to God. See what happens. Why am I saying all this? Because it's critical. It's critical. Why is it critical? Because some of you think it's a scheduling problem. It's not a scheduling problem. It's a heart problem. Because I've heard a message like this many times, and I sit there, and I take my notes, and I go, man, I really need to start prioritizing my life. So I'll, I'll pull out my phone and go to my reminders, and I'll put it, quiet time with Jesus. Uh, be nice to my wife. Date night every Friday night, blah, blah, blah. I'll schedule all this stuff. Listen to me, it don't work. It don't work because it's not a scheduling problem. It's a heart problem. When my heart is to go after God with all my heart, then it happens. I don't have to schedule it. Amen? Does that make sense? So Jesus said to seek, then he said to seek first, and there's power in, in what you do first. And then he clears it all up in, in the, the third point with this. He says, seek first his kingdom, his kingdom, and his righteousness. He points out two things, kingdom and righteousness. And I want to teach you on these, and then I'm going to wrap it up, because these are very important. He's, he says to seek first what? To seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Why is that so important? Because remember, God didn't send his son to start a religion. He sent his son to establish his kingdom on the planet. Amen? So he didn't come here to build in our Savior's church legacy that goes across the globe. He came here to establish the kingdom of God. It's kingdom. What is kingdom? Kingdom is heaven on earth. It's whatever you would see in heaven, you would see and experience it on earth. His will, his way, his plans. God gives us two priorities, his kingdom and his righteousness. The kingdom refers to the influence of the king on the earth. But what about this righteousness thing? What's so important about righteousness? I think first we need to determine what righteousness is. Righteousness is right standing with God. So how are you today with God? How are you and God doing today? Is that better? How y'all doing? Are you and God good? Or is there some distance between you? Are you and God like tight? Or are you loose? How are you with God today? That's right standing with God. Let me, let me explain it a little bit better than that. Righteousness is standing in a rightful position with God. Jesus died on the cross and, for, and cleansed you and forgave you, forgave you of your sins so that you could be in a relationship with God again. A good, healthy relationship with God. And righteousness is right standing with God. It means I can stand with God and we can be in this relationship and it's good. Is that making sense? That's righteousness. How do we get off of that? When we start to mess up. How many of you ever sinned? 
Raise your hand. You'd be sinning if you don't raise your hand. You've all sinned. You've all made mistakes. You've all made boneheaded decisions, right? You've done that, and you've fallen, and you felt guilt. You felt shame. You probably felt condemnation. You know what those things are for? They're to hold you down. What does that mean? It means to keep you out of righteousness, to keep you out of right standing with God. The devil don't like you and God being tight. And right. Too many believers today, that's what's wrong with this world, is too many believers today are beat down and broken and don't know where they stand. Righteousness. Here's the truth. If you don't know where you stand with God, you will always struggle to stand for God. Can I say that one more time? If you don't know where you stand with God, you will always struggle to stand for God. If you're questioning you and God's relationship today, then you're probably not in the right place with God. You're either believing a lie you're living under condemnation or, or you've, just, you've gone off on this crazy tangent that you're just worthless and useless. And what you actually do in those moments is you actually render yourself useless. Because if you don't know where you stand, then what are you standing for? <laughs> is it just like sinking in? Because y'all like... When I know how I am with God, I can stand in any situation. I get beat down. I get depressed sometimes. I get discouraged. I get insecure. I sin and I experience condemnation. All those things are trying to keep me from being who God's called me to be. All those things are trying to keep me from being in right standing with God because when I'm in right standing with God, I have confidence, boldness, courage. I understand kingdom principles. All of a sudden, the, 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 the kingdom is my priority. And I go, you know what? I'm, today, I'm not going to do a job. I'm going to build a kingdom. Amen? This is making sense. That's why righteousness is so, is so important. Jesus said it. He said two things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness because you can't build his kingdom if you don't know where you stand. Does that make sense? Listen to Jesus. This is incredible. I'm telling you, Jesus already knew what we were going to struggle with. And he already makes a way for us to come out of it. Listen to what he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness Watch this, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want me to give that to you in like a mamu type of language? Blessed are those who go after God and want to stand right and stay right with God because they will be filled. Did that help? Blessed are those that go after God with their whole heart because they'll get what they're looking for. Like you're going to get it. Like you're not going to strike out if you'll go with your whole heart. 
I think this verse is incredible because he says he promises that they will be filled. I, I, do you ever use scripture back on God? Like how many of you, let me, let me put it this way. Have you, how many of you have a kid that listens to every word you say? And when you promise something, they'll hold your feet to the fire. You say we're going to Dairy Queen. I mean, you got that kid. What are they doing? They're holding your words against you, right? And what does it do? It puts pressure back on you, right? I take this verse and I put pressure back on God. Sometimes I go, God, you said that I'm blessed when I hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you said I will be filled. Because this is what I've learned in 46 years of life. People usually aren't there when you need them. I wish they were, but people usually aren't there to encourage you. People usually aren't there exactly when you need them. Sometimes it happens, and when it happens, you're like, whoa. Sometimes I have to encourage myself. Sometimes I got to get myself off the ground. Sometimes I got to take God's word and go back to him with it and say, you promised that if I'll hunger and thirst after your righteousness, I will be filled. And you know what I've learned? He's not offended by that. I think he actually admires it. Because he goes, you know what, you're right, I did say that. So let me feel you. You know, some days I have to do that 10 to 15 times a day. Some days are just bad days and I just got to continually encourage myself. I shared with the first service one of the greatest blessings of COVID-19, <laughs> if there could be. <laughs> one of the greatest blessings for me personally of COVID-19 was this, that we shut the church down. That wasn't a blessing. <laughs> we shut the church down and we went online every night at 714. So every night at 714, I was teaching something to encourage the people. I had some bad days along the way. I had some days where it's 645 and I don't know what I'm going to teach the people. I wish I could tell you I spent four hours studying with God and I had this big old word I was going to give you in five minutes and, and it was all praise Jesus and pass the beans, but it wasn't. Some days I had a bad day. You know what I learned during COVID was that even when I'm having a bad day, I can still pick myself up with God's word. So it would be 645. I'm sitting at my desk and I'm just like dumbfounded. I can't think of nothing. I'm frustrated. I would just been a jerk to my wife. I was mad at the kids. I kicked the dog. I had evil thoughts towards the cat. I mean, it's just like, God. And I'm sitting down trying to encourage people. You know what I learned? I learned how to get back up myself. You know what it looks like? A lot of times at 6.50, I'd be sitting there going, Lord, I was an idiot today. I was mean to Cheryl. I said a lot of things I shouldn't have said. I feel bad about it. In fact, I feel condemned about it. I would take all my issues from that day and I would bring them to Jesus. And I would ask him to forgive me. I would confess my sin 
and ask him to forgive me and then he would forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. And then within a matter of five or 10 minutes, boom, he would give me a word and I would click play (laughs) or go on Facebook Live and be like, hey everybody, welcome to 714. And none of you knew what I just went through. It wasn't fake, it was real. His righteousness. I'm responsible to stay in right standing with God. Why do I need to stay in right standing with God? Because he's got a kingdom he wants to establish. Not my kingdom, but his kingdom. Amen? So if you look at this verse correctly, this verse is not a commandment as much as it is an invitation. And this is what I've learned in 46 years, that God's always waiting on me. He's always ready to be with me, always ready to spend time with me. And the second I yield my heart to him, the second I go after him with all my heart, he's there. He's there. It's an invitation. Amen? Let me pray for you. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I want us to pray over this moment. I want us to respond to this teaching this morning. I don't want you to walk out of here like you walked in. I want you to walk out with the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God as your priority. It comes before everything else. In order to do that, I think we need to do some confessing. Need to do a little house cleaning with God this morning. So God's not going to embarrass you. And I'm not going to embarrass you. So I believe right there in the seat that you're sitting in, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I want to just see this morning how many of you would say, Pastor, I've been about my kingdom. I haven't been in good standing with God. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand this morning. Nobody's looking around. Just be honest. You've been wrapped up in your kingdom, not God's kingdom. Your work has been your priority. Your career has been your priority. That's you, just raise your hand. Maybe you would be honest and say, I haven't been responsible enough for how I stand with God. In fact, I haven't been intentional at all. I've just kind of been living life whichever way the wind blows. If that's you, raise your hand. Just make that confession today. There's no shame on you. There's no condemnation on you. Maybe you're here today and you've never started a new relationship with Jesus. that's like but you'd like to start one today that's you just raise your hand is there anybody here this morning awesome two of you that's awesome so as I pray this morning I want you right there where you're at I want you to begin to pray 
your own way with God right now, I want you to begin to confess. Be honest. If it's been all about you and what you want to do and your will, then tell him that. He already knows it. He's just waiting on you to say it. Honestly, if you've been a little laxed and lazy in your relationship with God, make that confession today. Right there where you're at. Father, we come to you today. God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of giving my time and my energy to my kingdom and to my will. I'm guilty of trying to meet my own needs and then giving you the rest whatever's left over. God, there's been days that I've not sought your kingdom and your righteousness. There's been days I've not put you first. And I know that's not right. And God, I want to confess that there's something in my heart that needs to change today. And I just open my heart to you and I ask you to change it. I ask you to work in my heart. So I confess these things to you, Jesus, and I, I'd ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for my failures and my mistakes and my sin, my laziness, my complacency. Forgive me for listening to too many of the lies of the enemy and not enough of your good word. I trust that what you say in your word is that when I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me, but then to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So God, today I ask you to cleanse me of this. I want to be in right standing. I want to be righteous. I want to be a man or a woman of righteousness. And I want to be busy with your kingdom. So God, I yield my heart to you today. Invite you in to have your way with me. And I want us to pray this together this morning for those two folks that raise their hands to give their life to Jesus today. Let's pray with them. When we pray this, say, Lord Jesus, I come today admitting that I'm a sinner and I've fallen short of your glory. I need a Savior. Today, I believe in my heart that Jesus died on the cross for me and he paid the full price for my sin. And I believe that God, you raised him from the dead and he's sitting at your right hand today, alive and well. And today, God, I want to make a confession. Jesus, you're my Lord. I surrender my life to you today. And any day that I decide to pick it back up, I'll surrender it again. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for being my Lord. I submit to you today. In Jesus' name. 
Let's give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Come on, church.